The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, if you happen to uh, bring a Bible this morning, we're going to be in one place. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. So if you brought one, go ahead and open it up, and um, we're going to be there. If you don't have a Bible, I want to offer, we're going to, lights are going to come up so you can read a Bible. Um, if you don't have one, we'd, be, we'd love to give you one after the service at the Connect table. It's our gift to you. So we've been in this series called Ecclesia. You've been around here for three weeks now, and uh, we've really been focusing on this concept of the church. Ecclesia is the Greek word for which we derive the English word church and uh, we've been focusing on what it is what is the church what is the mission of the church uh, who are the members of the church and then today we want to ask a very simple question and um, I'm not going to get through the entirety of the answer to this question today we're going to finish up next week but I want to uh, begin today answering the question who leads the church who leads the church? The answer to that is really very simple. Um, in fact, Scripture only gives us two ordained offices of leadership in the, in the church. And those two ordained offices are one, there are three words that the Scripture describes, one office, and those three words are bishop, which is episkopos. It gives us this idea of an overseer, one who sees that things are done well. The other is pastor, um, which is the word poimen, and it's this idea of a shepherd. And then there is presbyteros, which is elder, and um, that is a person who is of, of age, who has dignity, and who is wise. Those three words describe one leadership office in the church. And so today, I'm going to spend time talking about that one leadership office. There is a second one, though, that Scripture says um, is a clear leadership office in the church, and that is deacons. Um, the word is um, the word in, New, in the New Testament comes from Acts chapter 6, and we see that the, the apostles, the original elders, that's what we're going to focus on today, the elders, um, the elders saw this need in the church where there were widows who were being overlooked. And the elders in the church said, you know what, um, we need to spend our time in the word and in prayer, so let's appoint additional leaders that they call deacons to oversee this widow ministry. And so the two offices of leadership in the church are very simple. We have bishop, pastor, elder, all one office that we're going to refer to today as elders. And then there is a second leadership office known as the deacons. And so the deacons and elders, their qualifications, even some of their functions and responsibilities are very similar, but we're, today we're going to focus on this concept of elders. So the short answer right up front, don't close your Bible and walk out and go get coffee, but the short answer to the question before us today, who leads the church? The short answer is elders lead the church. Acts chapter 14 um, Paul and Barnabas have been preaching the gospel and then they come back to this uh, area that's modern day Turkey. Uh, in the scriptures, it's known as Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. And after they've preached the gospel, disciples have been made. Then Paul makes this statement in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. I think it's significant here that um, Paul or the New Testament mentions in Acts chapter 14 that there were multiple 
leaders, multiple elders who oversaw the local church there in Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch. At Story City Church, we would agree with Acts chapter 14, verse 23. We agree with this concept of a plurality of elders, a plurality of leaders. We also um, would say that scripture affirms there are multiple people in a church who have the charge of oversight of the church, and we call them elders. Now, just as an aside, can I say this? The New Testament affirms this concept of a plurality of elders. I'm going to introduce you to the plurality of elders in our church here this morning. And so the New Testament affirms this concept of plurality. And I, I personally believe one of the primary reasons why there was a plurality of elders in the New Testament was because in that day, there was not one church like we have today, 250 or so people meeting in an auditorium in one location. There weren't church buildings until we get to the third century. And so there, were, there was one church, but they met in many, many different houses. And so there was a need to appoint elders in each house. And so there was this plurality of elders that governed one church, even though they met in many, many locations. At Story City, even though we are one location now, um, um, even though we are one location now, not a hint towards anything, but there's a hint towards something. And so even though we're one location now, uh, we believe in a plurality of elders to govern our church. Now, if you're new to church, you, you maybe you even have been to church, depending on your background, your denominational background, where you come from, this concept of elders may uh, it may seem foreign to you. And so I want to tell you what my goal is today. My intended goal is to explain the office of elder from the scriptures. And by the way, if you're in here this morning, you're like, hey, why, why would we even spend time talking about this? And I want to bring us back to what we've said the last three weeks. We are setting the stage for this infant church in Burbank, California to move forward in the mission that God has for us. And we don't want you to guess what it is and who it is and and what we believe and how we are organized. And we believe personally that the church is foundational and fundamental to your growth as a believer. And so even more so than that, um, culturally, sometimes we react to how culture wants a church to be. But what we have said is, but we want to be a biblical church. We're grateful for how culture shapes a lot of things we do, but the bottom line is we want to be a biblical church, and so if we're going to be a biblical church, we want to understand biblical leadership in the church. So I want to explain the office of elder to you, um, I hope very succinctly this morning, and I can't complete it all today, but I want to do it in three ways. And I want, to, I want to explain this office of elder with three questions. I'm going to answer the first one today and then answer the second two next week. But the first question I want to answer for you is, who can be an elder? Who, 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 who even qualifies to be an elder? We're going to do that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. But if you were, in, in maybe in secular work terms, if you were hiring somebody, this question would be, what, what is their character? Who is this person? And then next week, the two questions I want to answer are, but what does an elder do? In other words, what is their job description? And we're going to go to Acts chapter 20 for that. If you were in the secular world, that question may be, what are their competencies? What do they do? And then the third question is, and then how does an elder do it? 
How does an elder lead? How does an elder fulfill his job? We're going to find that in 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you're in the secular world, that word may sound something like commitments. This is how he does it. On our staff, we have staff values. That is how we do our job. And so this morning, though, we're going to talk about character. Next week, we're going to talk about competencies and commitments. And so I want you to have a full understanding of who leads the church. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to go by this line by line, and I want to help us understand how God has structured this church, and I hope it's going to be an encouragement to you today. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, <clears throat> the scripture says, here's a, trustworthy, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, there's that word in, in, in this passage, it's, it's, a pres, uh, it's episkopos, meaning translated bishop. But again, bishop, elder, pastor, all the same office, uh, three different words. We're going to refer to what's being described here as simply that office. We're going to call them elders. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, in Paul's day, as he's writing to Timothy here, the concept of this idea of an overseer, that office in the church, in the early church, included hardship, it included persecution, and so in a lot of ways, it wasn't desirable to be an overseer. And so, but Paul says, but whoever aspires... This idea aspire gives us this, this sort of this word picture of, of somebody that reaches out for, somebody that longs for something. It's, it's a voluntary desire. But listen to me, listen to me. This aspiring to be in, in the office of an overseer is utterly different, listen to me, than an ambitious desire. It's different. There, there is a different concept of what's happening here. And so the desire to be an overseer, by the way, we're going to introduce you to two of our first lay elders this morning. And this is what I hope happens. I hope there are some of you who say, I, I desire to be that. And I hope the spirit of God puts that in your heart. I want to say to you, these aren't our only two lay elders. Um, these are our first two lay elders. We are, we are moving towards adding additional elders this year. There's already several people in mind. And so I hope as we're explaining this process, you say, that, that's a, that's, I desire that. I desire leadership in the church. But listen to this warning in James chapter 3 as we have this desire. James 3.1 says, let not many of you become teachers, brothers and sisters, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. Now listen, this concept of leadership in the church, there's a weight to this office. There's a weight to the office of elder that it should not be taken lightly. And it shouldn't be desired ambitiously without counting the cost of your motives. Now listen, ambition is associated with power, it's associated with authority. I gotta be honest, I woke up this morning and I thought, Lord, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not trepid about this message, but when you talk about leadership, specifically in the church, there's all these ideas that we bring to the table and most of them are surrounding this concept of power and authority. But listen, that's not what the office of an elder is. According to scripture, the office of an elder is a person who is called to be a servant, an under-shepherd. It's a person who's called to death. It's a person who's called to sacrifice. It's a person who's called to slavery. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. 
You see, you had these two guys that were fighting over who could be the greatest leader beside Jesus. And Jesus called them in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 20. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Verse 27, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Verse 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Position of elder, position of elder doesn't have anything to do with power and an abuse of authority. An elder has authority in the local church, but that's not what drives them. An elder responds to this call to die, to sacrifice for the glory of God so that the church can become mature. And so we've been trained, though, to doubt this concept of authority. And let's be honest, unchecked authority typically leads to people being taken advantage of. But what the word of God gives us, this concept of elder in the scripture says that if there is someone who won't sacrifice for you, who won't give of himself for you so you can grow, he should not become an elder. So someone who wants to be an elder because he wants power should never pass through the process of becoming an elder in a local church. An elder will be judged. Why should they not pass through the process? Because they're going to be judged for that authority. We're going to be judged for that accountability to the bride of Christ by God. That's part of the reasons why we have a process in place for filtering who becomes this elder, this leader in our church. It's part of the reason why we say we don't bring on anybody as an elder in our church with one or two exceptions that have not been a part of our fellowship for two years. Why? Because we want to observe them. We want to see them for a million different reasons, but we want to see how they handle authority. Do they want to be in a place of leadership because they want authority? And if they do, they should never filter all the way through the process. We want to observe them. We want to observe their desires. And so Paul goes on here in verse 1, and he tells us that the job of an overseer is an honorable work. The work itself carries honor in the eyes of God. Now, let's answer the question before us. Who can be an elder? It's a question about character. Let's be honest. Let's, let's be upfront. This is a question about character. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there are 12 descriptions of who an elder can be and what his character is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So let's walk through it together. Verse 2 says this. Now the overseer is to be above Reproach. Let's stop there. If you got something to write with, I want to encourage you to write every one of these down, maybe even underline them in the Bible. I'm not even getting creative. I'm just calling them what they are and trying to explain them to you this morning. Above reproach does not mean someone is perfect. Perfect disqualifies all of us, me especially. But above reproach does not mean perfect people, but it means people in the congregation should never go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that person is an elder. It means there's people in the community can't say that there's something in that person's life that's going to hinder the witness of Jesus or the church. He's not a corrupt businessman. He treats his employees or his co-workers with respect. He's known to be fair and kind. He is above reproach. 
The second description is that he is faithful to his wife. This can be translated, he is a one-woman man. Now listen to me. It does not mean that an elder has to be married. Let me get that out. Paul would have been disqualified if being an elder and being married were synonymous. Paul could not have been an elder. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul goes through this idea and this concept of singleness. He himself was single. Jesus also was single. Both of them would have been disqualified from being an elder in the church if being married was a requirement for being an elder. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 goes through this argument, this concept of being single in the church. And he actually goes on to say, I wish all of you could be like me, unless you cannot um, live without giving in to your desires. But he says, I, I wish all of you could be like me. And he goes on to say, actually, singleness is preferred because you could be more effective in ministry. He, he, he says these things, and I laugh at it. He's like, when I'm not married, and so all of my attention is given to God. When you get married, all of your attention is given to your wife or your husband. Because I'm single, I can give more attention to God. And so Paul elevates this concept of singleness. Before I had kids, I had more time for ministry. Before I got married, I had even more time for ministry. But marriage was God's call on my life, but it may not be God's call for your life. It may be, but it may not. I want to say to you this morning, do not disqualify yourself from this concept if you are not married. Paul simply meant this. An elder is a one woman for one woman, not marked by flirtation, not marked by conversations in private with another woman. He is a one woman man. An elder loves only one woman, his wife. He, his love is sort of is directed. It's isolated. It's centralized in one place, his wife. And if he's married, he's fully committed to his wife, and his wife alone. One of the most effective pastors that I know, pastors in Denver, and he is a single man. Paul simply meant he is a one woman man if he is married. It's all of his affection is directed that way. If you're single, don't disqualify yourself either from an elder or any other position of leadership in the church. Now, let's tackle something really, really difficult here. Elders are men. Let's tackle that first. Listen to me, church. It has nothing to do with gifts and abilities. God gives every single woman in this room every spiritual gift he gives men. What this means is that this concept of men and the role of elder means it has everything to do with design and God's plan for flourishing in the church and in the home. Now, listen, let me make this argument real quick for you and don't tune me out, okay? The man who is described in 1 Timothy chapter 3, ladies, listen to me, is the type of woman where you flourish. He is the type of man where women can flourish. And if women can't flourish under those elders' leadership, they're the wrong type of men. It has nothing to do with gifting and skill set. It has everything to do with design. And these arguments are not cultural. They're designed. They go back to creation. Listen to me. I know women, some women, who can pe uh, preach and teach better than nearly every man I know. No. Women are highly 
honored in Scripture, and God used them significantly. And if you want some examples, let me give them to you. Miriam, in Exodus chapter 15, she sang. Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary glorified God in Luke chapter 1. Deborah was raised up as a judge in Judges chapter 5. Elizabeth and Anna both prophesied publicly in Luke chapter 1. Story City, we need more Deborahs, we need more Hannahs, we need more Elizabeths, we need more Annas in our church and in the church globally. Let Let me be very clear about something. At Story City Church, our aim is not simply to create better wives and better moms. Now, that's not shade towards wives. That's not shade towards moms. And some of you, God is called to do that. My wife is a mom. If that's God's role for you, we wholeheartedly support it. But there are some of you, when and where God has called women to lead, we want to equip you to do it. We want to equip you to do it. So let me try to put this concretely for you at Story City Church and explain the, the depth and the breadth of places women want to be and want to lead. We believe that women in our church should drive and shape ministry. And not just women's ministry, by the way. And not just kids' ministry, by the way. Uh, right now, Megan Wright and her team of ladies are, are driving and shaping our women's ministry. Yes, they are planning for 2019. They are submitting budgets. They are um, praying and saying, God, what do you want for our ministry this year? Right now, Susan Mayfield, wherever she is in this auditorium, she leads our hospitality team of other men and other women, and they're driving and shaping hospitality ministry. Pastor Matt, do you mean you tell Susan what you want her to do, and she does it? Absolutely not. Susan is driving the ministry. She is driving the vision for how we serve you on Sunday morning. Dustin is a part of her team for which Dustin is directly responsible to Susan. You say, I've got a question about hospitality ministry. Why do we do it that way? Why don't we do it this way? Pastor Matt, can you answer that for me? I probably can answer for why we do it this way. But the only reason I answer that is because Susan has told me. If you want to know why we do it this way and why we don't do it that way, you need to go talk to Susan because Susan is driving that ministry. She's leading it. She's casting vision for that ministry. For the next month, Susan and Megan, I wish you could have been in the room a couple weeks ago. It was way more than 50% of our people. These women are engaged in the ministry planning process. And on December the 2nd, we're going to present to you. They're driving what we will do next year. They propose ministry, budget dollars required. Listen to me. We believe there should be more Deborahs and Annas and Elizabeths in our church to lead and drive and shape ministry. Tim Keller talks about this concept of being equals without being the, doing the same thing. And he says it this way, and I thought it was good. God forbids one kind of role in the church to women and one only, as he did in Israel. He must not jump from that to forbidding all teaching tasks to women. It is better to say that everything a man who isn't an elder can do, a woman can do also. Now, ladies, would you look at me real quick, and I want to say something to you. God has called you to something. It's not just the sidelines. It's not just to hide behind the leadership of a man. It's not just to hide behind the leadership of your husband. God has called you to something. Secondly, you are a leader with spiritual authority. If God has called you to lead, then Story City wants to come behind you and help you lead. 
to the rest of us in here this morning, I want you to just walk around and make an observation of the women, women who are leading Story City. And I believe that's the way it should be. Now, you okay with that? You see God's heart? You can send me an email. I'm confident I'm going to get a few. Um, <laughs> let's move on. And, and, and by the way, I received that. I'm not asking not to. I received that. And some of you may have a difficult time with that, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. We can talk. Let's move on to who can be an elder. Um, the second part of verse 2 says they're temperate and they're self-controlled. What time do we have? Well, i got to hustle. They're temperate and self-controlled. This, this is the description of a disciplined man. He's not controlled by things. He's not so obsessed by things that they control his life, whether it's food, um, whether it's golf, work, working out, playing Xbox. He's, he's self-controlled. In other words, what controls them is their love for Jesus. Other things don't. He understands who he is. By the way, listen, can I say this to you? An elder understands that he is weak. Yes, I said that in 2018. He knows I am weak. And the only way I'm strong is because of the strength that God gives me. He's also, this gives us this concept, temperate and self-control. It gives us this concept that he's self-aware. In other words, he doesn't try out for um, who can dance. I don't need a microphone. Who can dance? Because he knows he can't dance. He doesn't need his mom to affirm him and then go on a show and be realized, oh, you really can't dance. He knows he can't dance. And so he never puts himself out there for that. I'll grab one in a second. Next one, Respectable. It gives us the idea of somebody who has a well-ordered life, someone with dignity. This is sort of a hard concept to process in a culture that's very casual. When I was a kid, I, um, I, I used to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. That's just the culture I grew up in. But uh, I had this neighbor from Ohio, her name was Miss Annie, and she hated it. She was like, don't ever call me Miss Annie. In fact, she said that to me one time in front of my mom. She said, don't ever call me ma'am or Miss Annie again. And I literally said, yes, ma'am, Miss Annie, thank you. <laughs> An elder is respectable, not only in the church, but in his work and how he works. And he's respected and honored by his neighbors and how he conducts life. The other description here in verse 2 says he's hospitable. This is not just um, he's a great Martha Stewart. This is, it's more than cleaning the house when people come over. It's more than hosting a dinner in your home, though it doesn't mean any less than that. It means he loves, actually what this means is he loves lost people. He loves people who don't go to church. He cares for their soul. He goes out of their way to show it. The last one in verse 2 says he's able to teach. Now listen to me. I'm going to introduce elders to you. Um, we're going to add more elders this year. And not every one of our elders is going to be a person who stands on a stage and teaches and preaches to you. When it says he's able to teach, it does not mean here that he's a great orator, that he preaches the stars down, that he's an incredible communicator. What it does mean is that he knows the scriptures and he can walk you through a biblical response to your questions. They can answer for you from the word of God and can show you why and how. Now, verse three, it says, an elder is not given to drunkenness. He's not a drunkard. I can't make an argument from scripture for total abstinence in most circumstances. But listen to me, I can clearly make an argument for you for sober mindedness. Proverbs 31.4 says, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. At the base level, at the base level, an elder is not addicted to wine. In other words, he doesn't need a glass of wine or a beer to put himself to sleep at night. Second part of verse 3 says he's not violent, but gentle. He's not quarrelsome. That whole thing sort of goes together. 
It's not good for a church to be led by people who are always looking for a fight. They're always looking for conflict. It's not good to have leaders in a church that really just, they're, they're out for looking for a fight. And what scripture says is those elders are gentle. They don't have to get into conflict, but they're not afraid of conflict when it comes. In fact, it means if there is an elder who is afraid to shoot a, a, a wolf whenever he is endangering the sheep, he also should not be an elder. But an elder is gentle. He's not quarrelsome. He's not looking for a fight. And then the last part of verse three says he's not a lover of money. It doesn't mean he doesn't have money. It doesn't mean he doesn't make money. It means he sees money for what it is. He knows what it is, and it does not control his life. Furthermore, it also means an elder is extremely generous, not because he's rich, but because he's generous. Verse four, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So this is concept, one of the 12 here is that he manages his household well. So it's this idea that home is a proving ground for ministry. There's few things in life that will tempt your flesh to battle with the spirit, like being a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly father. An elder should pastor his home well. In fact, the scripture says that a wife flourishes under his presence in the home. And we want to know as we're selecting elders, is your wife flourishing? Does he lead his kids with dignity? Is he gracious and firm? Home is this test on whether or not you can come close to leading the house of God. Now, again, you may be single, but listen, this applies to whether or not you lead your own self well. If I can't lay down my personal preferences for my own wife and kids, in other words, if I come home at night at 6 p.m. and I walk in the door and I cannot lay aside everything that's happened that day to pastor and shepherd my own wife and my own kids and I cannot do it consistently, I disqualify myself from being an elder. Because if I won't sacrifice for my own family, then I won't sacrifice for you as well. And so we want to know, is an elder sacrificing himself for his family? Verse six, he must not be a recent convert, and we're going to end here. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So it's this idea of a mature believer, a recent convert he should not be. There's this sort of maturation cycle, this period for mature believers. And what it gives us this idea, as Paul talked about this thorn in his side, it gives us this idea that an elder is a person who's been through trials, He's been through struggles. He's been through the disappointing moments of life. He knows what it is to hurt and to hurt deeply, yet he has matured through it. And that's why oftentimes a very young leader who may want to be an elder needs to go through a period of seasoning where they can experience the difficulty of life. It's necessary to know that you're weak and not strong, and your strength is from the Lord. Now, verse 7, and we're done. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into the disgrace and into the devil's trap. This concept of a good reputation with those outside of the church. It doesn't mean that everyone agrees with us. It doesn't mean every time we share the gospel that everybody comes to faith in Christ. It means that an elder's life um, is looked at by people around them and they respect them for how they work, how they serve, how they love their family. They live what they say they believe. This should be confirmed by the people that I live around. 
You should be able to go to my neighbors. And if my neighbor showed up in here this morning, my neighbor should say, yep, I know. If Matt's outside, there are days when I turn around and go back in my house because I know he's going to talk about the Lord. He should have a good reputation with those in the outside world. His boss doesn't say, yeah, he cuts corners. His co-workers don't say, yeah, he's very critical. He has a good reputation with the outside world. That's who an elder is. That's who an elder is. And I want you to notice something. Out of those 12 descriptions of who an elder is, there's only one skill. The only skill in this description of 12 is that he's able to teach. The rest of these descriptions of who an elder is is the type of person he is and his character. It's a type of man, not necessarily a skill. He's a man of the word. He's a man for his family. He's a man of integrity. He's a man for the world. Now, let me talk just briefly about Story City Church, and then we're going to dismiss this morning. Uh, let me give you a description of how we describe our leadership in our church. It's written in our bylaws. It says, Story City Church is a Jesus ruled. He's the top. He is the shepherd of our church. It's a pastor-led, elder-led, congregationally accountable church. You have a role in this process. That's why we talked about membership last week. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to two men over the next two weeks. I'm going to have a chance for you to see them, know them, hear from them. And what I'm also going to say to you is I'm going to say, if you know something about them that we don't know, that disqualifies them from being an elder, we want to know from you. There's a part of this process as a congregation and as members, and we're not there yet. We're going to be there in six months in January. There's a part of this process where you play a part too in accordance with the principles laid down in the New Testament. That's how we describe it. So he said, it's a Jesus-ruled, pastor-led, congregationally accountable church in accordance with the principles laid down in the New Testament. So today, I'm going to introduce you guys to our first two lay elders. Josh, I want you to come on up. Uh, Josh Wright, and then um, Bob. Where's Bob? Bob, Bob's coming from behind, right back here. <clears throat> I want to introduce these two men to you guys. Um, they're sort of, uh, I, I had in production meetings, we prayed, they're, they're sort of like this mystery, like, ooh, who is it? That's not, well, that wasn't at all intended to be what this process was. So we're, this is just who they are. Um, Bob and Josh have both been a part of our fellowship for two years now. Um, Bob and I have connections back in my previous life as a youth pastor in Atlanta. And so when I first got to LA, Bob reached out to me through Facebook and he said, let's grab coffee. And so Bob has been a part of what we've been doing all the way back to the Banshee Theater, Bob, um, through actually in our home, the Banshee Theater, um, the Comedy Club, and now here. So he's been here almost to the duration of what we have done here. I've observed Bob. I know Bob is one of the most generous men you will ever meet in your entire life. I also know that he and his wife, Lisa, moved to Los Angeles um, because of Lisa's job. But also, they had this concept in mind that they moved out to be missionaries who happened to work a full-time job. And I know that they love the local church. They love you. They love seeing local churches planted. They love seeing people come to know Jesus. And so Bob is one of our first lay elders. Bob uh, vocationally serves as a consultant, um, particularly auditing, and um, he travels frequently. And so Bob is one of our first lay elders. Um, all of us on our elder team have sort of a very specific sort of um, specialty, if you will. And Bob's specialty is this area of finance and administration provides insight into that process. Their building that we own a block, four blocks from here, Bob is helping drive a lot of that process. 
Josh Wright has been a part of our fellowship now for over two years. Um, and we got to know Josh. I think they came to, uh, did you come to the comedy? You came to, no, no. The last day we were in the comedy club, they came and um, Josh and his wife and their kids have been a part of our fellowship from day one, have been a tremendous blessing to us, have stepped into roles of leadership in our church. Specifically, Josh has a specialty in the area of counseling and um, Josh has counseled many people in our church. Um, I wish we had the bandwidth to be able to counsel everybody that requested. We get those requests quite frequently. But one of the things Josh and I are hoping is going to happen is that we are going to train some of you to do what Josh does. And it's not a complicated process. But Josh adds so much depth and so much wisdom into this process. Josh vocationally is also a consultant. And um, um, that's not a requirement. It wasn't in First Timothy 3, but that's just what happened. <laughs> And so Josh and his wife, Megan, and their kids are coming. And these two men we are bringing before you today. And we are saying, um, these are our first two lay elders. The other two on our elder team are myself and Tyler Miller, who's a staff elder. And I want to say to you, um, there will always be more lay elders than there will be paid staff elders. And there's a million reasons for that, but it serves as protection in a lot of ways. It serves as accountability. It helps us with an outside perspective on this process. They keep us accountable to what happens here. So I want to bring these men before you today and over the next two weeks, part of the process, whenever we introduce new elders to our church, we say, here they are, and um, this is who they are, and you've heard the description of who an elder is in First Timothy chapter 3. Now, we want to give you as a congregation a chance to affirm that. I don't mean we're voting this morning. I simply mean if you know something that we don't know in First Timothy chapter 3, there's something about their life. They willingly, by the way, submit themselves to this process. And, um, and they say, if, if there's something in, in their past or in, in whatever it may be, current lifestyle that we don't know about, that we need to know about, then if you know it, we want to know it. And we want to filter that. That's how we are congregationally accountable. So how would you do that? You can email me. You can call me. You can stop by our office in the next two weeks. And um, we would love to hear from you. In two weeks, uh, we will pray over these men and install them as elders, assuming nothing in our context has arisen from it. Now, can I just say this to you before I close? Some of you may be wondering and asking, why wasn't I chosen for, for this? And I think that's a fantastic question. And I want to say to you, we are going to choose some of you. We are going to ask some of you to be a part of this process. I pray that the spirit of the living God has put a desire in your heart to be an overseer in our church, to be one of these men who gives oversight of this entire church, our doctrine, our practice, how we lead other people. And so part of that process for us is having been a part of this fellowship for two years. So if you've not been here for two years, um, just hang on, stick around and uh, be a part of what's going on here. Um, secondly, um, as a part of this process, if you know someone in our church who you think would make a great elder, we're always open for you to give us recommendations. And I don't know if you know this. And I just want to say to you, there are already multiple people in our church who are already on my mind and our mind to bring into this process, but we're letting a period of time process before we engage that activity. We want to know that 
you have demonstrated a commitment to our local church and you have served. If, if you haven't served our body yet, then eldership is probably not the per- first place for you to step in. We want to know that you've demonstrated commitment to our church already. You're generous to our church. And so if you're wondering, can I be a part of that process? Well, if 1 Timothy chapter 3 describes your current life and if all of those things have been met, we would love to talk with you about it. Josh and Bob, I want to say I, we deeply love you, men. Um, I have been so encouraged. The first three years of this process has been hard, and you know that. And um, it's been difficult. And you feel like you're rowing the boat. You know, Tyler and I are just rowing the boat upstream by ourselves. And now you've breathed new life into this process and adding wisdom and maturity. And um, our church is better because of you, and we love you. Now, Um, In two weeks, we're going to pray over these men, but I want all of us to pray together now. I want you to pray for them as I pray for all of us as a church. Lord, God, we humbly submit ourselves to you as a body, as a fellowship, as your bride. God, desperately desiring to be a church that you describe in the scriptures. God, I'm confident there are people in our fellowship this morning that may wrestle with this concept of leadership. God, I'm confident there are people in our fellowship this morning, in the chairs this morning, God, who have wrestled with the abuse of power and authority in a local church. God, may those people find rest for their souls in this fellowship because they can trust the leadership that's leading them with integrity. God, I pray if there are those... um, God's situations. God, I pray that you would bring them to light so that we can walk together humbly, Lord, as we desire to be the church that you have asked us to be in the scriptures. So, Lord, we love you. We commend our church to you as the shepherd. God, you are the shepherd of Story City Church. We are the under shepherds, Lord. We come under your leadership. May we be men and women of integrity. God, constantly seeking your face, described in all of these things in 1 Timothy chapter 3. May all of us, God, desire to be that type of person. So, Lord, guard our church. Guard our church from disunity. May you bind our unity, Lord. God, may you cast away the areas of disunity in our church, Lord. God, may we walk together, Lord, humbly as a church, desiring to mature as believers and reach those who don't know you. And so we commend ourselves to you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said amen and amen. Bob and Josh, thank you. I just have one quick announcement, and then we're going to dismiss